The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Welcome back to the next Big Idea Daily. It's our final show of the week and the last of our conversations with Jonah Berger. Jonah teaches marketing at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. His expertise is in topics like social influence, consumer behavior, and how products go viral. As you might imagine, his new book, Magic Words, What to Say to Get Your Way, has a lot of lessons in it that you could apply to your business, especially if your business involves communicating. But frankly, if you're a human being, you're already in the communications business, whether you're talking to your children, your partner, your friends, or your enemies. Using language well can make you a more effective person all around. And it's crucial to understand that language isn't just something you use to communicate with others. It's also how you talk to yourself. You think in words. So learning to be a better talker can actually make you a better thinker. Here's Jonah to explain more. One last quick takeaway that I find fascinating uh, is the language of creativity. Often when we're stuck on something, we don't know what to do, we're trying to figure out the right answer. Being creative is, is really hard. It's hard to think outside the box and come up with new ideas. But the research finds, again, that a subtle shift, switching one word out, can actually make us much more creative and help us come up with better solutions. Because often when we think about trying to solve a problem or we're, we're stuck in a bind, we often think about what we should do. Given the situation I'm in, what should I do? Uh, what is the right course of action? Uh, and while shoulds are useful in some ways, they can be quite restricting. They focus us on only thinking about maybe one or two right answers, and they narrow us to other possibilities. But research shows that rather than think about what we should do, if we instead think about what we could do, we're much more likely to come up with creative solutions. Research finds that um, asking people to think about what they could do leads them to think outside the box, think a little bit more broadly. And even if they don't end up implementing one of those things that they came up with, it helps them reach a better solution uh, in the end. And so think in coulds rather than shoulds. It'll help you be a better problem solver and more creative. In your book, you say one of the most impactful ways we can use language is to speak concretely, to try to use specific concrete words rather than abstract ones. Tell me, tell me how that works. When we're talking to someone, we don't just want to listen. We don't just want to, you know, hear what they said, understand what they said. We want to show them that we listened, right? Because if we don't show them that we listened, they're, they're not going to know that we listened. And, and concrete language shows listening. Because if I, if I call up and I say, I have such and such problem, and someone says, I can help you with that, well, it's not clear they really heard me. They could say, I can help you with that, whether I called about a flight delay, uh, a lost pair of shoes, or an overcharge on a credit card. But saying, hey, you know, I'll go find that pair of shoes in the size you asked for clearly shows that they heard me. Saying, you know, your refund will be there soon is pretty vague. Saying the money will be there tomorrow is much more concrete. And so by using concrete language, even in our personal lives, we can show other people that we listened, that we heard what they said, and have more positive interactions as a result. And so and in interpersonal conversations, I think I'm guilty of sometimes just saying, you know, if, if my wife is complaining about something that happened, I think I'm showing that I'm listening by saying, hmm, that sounds rough or something. But it's much more powerful if I can use specific language that shows I, I heard the details. You know, it's, it, 
wow, I can't believe your boss said that or something that's much more concrete and vivid to what she's telling me. Yeah, not just, oh, that sounds tough, or I'm sorry you had a bad day. You know, as we talked about before, asking a follow-up question, oh, what what did they say next? Or um, saying, wow, it's really difficult that they said that. That must have made you feel really sad. Doing some of the work to show that we heard them, not just hearing them, but showing them we heard them will increase our impact. But you say there are situations where you do want to speak abstractly, whether you're pitching an idea or you're you're trying to show leadership. Can you give me some concrete examples, if you will, <laughs> of when abstraction could be our friend? Yeah. So some researchers looked at uh, the language of, of startup founders, uh, in particular pitching companies to raise capital. So uh, you come in there, you have your pitch deck, you talk about what your company is doing, and you know they either fund you or they don't, and they give you, you know, more amount of money or less money. Concrete language is good for a variety of things. It makes it clear what you're saying. It helps people understand what you're saying. It makes it more memorable. It even can show them that you're listening. But there's some places where abstract language is better. These researchers found that when you're talking about your startup, using abstract language actually leads venture capital terms to give you more money. And the reason why is this. If if Uber comes out and Uber says something like, Uber, we get you from work back to home. That's a really concrete value proposition. As a customer, I have a good sense of what they do. And so I'm likely to take a ride. But as someone who's considering giving them money, valuing this company, Well, a company that drives people from home to office, I have a really good sense of what that is, but it sounds rather narrow. If instead they describe themselves as a transportation solution, hold on, I I as a consumer, I don't know what a transportation solution is. I don't want a transportation solution. I want to ride from the home to the office. But as a venture firm who's trying to figure out, will this company be really successful and um, have a bunch of directions they can go in, a transportation solution sounds a lot broader, right, and a lot more likely to have a high valuation. The same thing in leadership roles. As leaders, talking more abstractly can make us seem more visionary. And so this is, again, a case where we want to know when to be more concrete and when to be more abstract. If we're trying to help people understand what we're doing, uh, if we're trying to show listening, concreteness is better. If we want to see visionary and broad and like our startup will make billions of dollars, then being more abstract can be better. What's your analysis of storytelling and how emotion gets conveyed in storytelling that we should all know about if we want to connect with people who want to tell better stories? We all have people in our lives that are great storytellers, right? Like they just tell a story and everybody sits there just listening. And then what happened next? And, and what happens next? And I've always wondered what makes someone a good storyteller. As a consumer of stories, we've we've all read books or, or watched movies where we're just sitting there and we're we're so engaged, we're deeply involved in the content, and so. I've spent the last few years doing some work to try to figure out why. We've we've analyzed tens of thousands of movie scripts, analyzed a, a variety of different types of conversations to look at what makes certain stories more uh, effective. And one thing we find is, is a little bit counterintuitive. So as storytellers, we often think, as presenters, as people that are talking about ourselves, we often think we should just talk about the highlights, right? That's what everybody does on social media. We all say, you know, this is this wonderful thing that happened to me, and this is this other wonderful thing that happened to me. And so we take sometimes the same insight into stories. We think we should just talk about the great things that happened. But while the view from the top of a mountain is nice, it's a much 
more valuable, engaging view if you walk there from the valley, right? If rather than get a, dropped off by a helicopter, if you did the work to get there, if you came from a low to get to a high, the high is even more valuable. And so what our research finds is great stories are, are more like roller coasters. There's deep lows and then there's an up and then another deep low and then another up and then another deep low because those lows make the highs even more impactful. Not only do they make a more interesting story, right? If, if it's all highs, it's not that interesting to know what's going to happen next. But second, it helps the audience feel like they can do something similar. If you're listening to somebody, whether it's a boss or a colleague, and, and their life just sounds perfect, you might sit there and go, well, there's no way I can do this, right? My life pales in, in comparison. But if they talk about the time they failed, and then they succeeded, but then they failed again, suddenly they're a lot more relatable. Suddenly it feels like, well, they're a lot like me. I can empathize with them. I can see myself in their shoes. And because they're more relatable, it, it deepens that social connection. And obviously, this is something I can use as a presenter or as a screenwriter, but you're saying it's also something I, is it something that we can use even in our office lives when writing emails or writing social media posts? Can it apply on the granular level? I think anytime we want to hold people's attention, we want to engage an audience, we want to tell a better story, whether it's among friends or in our professional lives at the office, understanding how stories work and using emotional language can help us get there. And just give me a minute to explain the pratfall effect. The pratfall effect is about talking about failures. Most of us think we should avoid our failures. We shouldn't talk about a time we failed. People think worse of us. They'll think less of us. But there's this great study where they had people interact with others. And in some cases, those others failed. They like spilled coffee on themselves. And in other cases, they didn't. And they found that failure, having failures, could actually be a good thing. Particularly if someone's so competent, so perfect already, they seem like they do everything really well. Seeing them fail at something, seeing them not achieve in every situation, or seeing them spill coffee on themselves makes them seem more relatable, makes them seem more like a real person, and makes us like them more as a result. If they're successful, an unsuccessful person spilling coffee, we like them less, but a successful person, we like them more somehow. Indeed, yes. Well, Jonah, it's been fascinating talking to you. Great having you on our podcast, and thank you very much for coming on and, and telling us about your book. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you listeners for joining us for these episodes about the power of language. If you missed any of them, you can find my earlier conversations with Jonah Berger in your podcast feed. Or check out our Next Big Idea app where you can find all episodes of our podcast alongside powerful life lessons from some of the smartest nonfiction writers out there and e-courses from authors selected by our curators, Malcolm Gladwell, Adam Grant, Susan Cain, and Daniel Pink. I'll be back next week to talk with New Yorker writer Adam Gopnik about his new book, The Real Work, The Mystery of Mastery. If you don't already know, Adam's a phenomenal writer, and I'm looking forward to hearing him explain how it is that we get good at things and how we can get better at getting better. I'm Michael Kavnet, your host, producer, and writer. Caleb Bissinger and Rufus Griscom serve as executive producers. Sound design by Jason Freeman. The Next Big Idea Daily is a proud member of the LinkedIn Podcast Network. See you next week.